Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host Tyler Rouse. Today we will talk about the real-life surgeon that was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's inspiration for his famous character, Sherlock Holmes. This is fitting as May 22nd was International Sherlock Holmes Day, set on Doyle's birthday. Let's begin. I don't know about you, but before beginning this podcast series, I had no idea that Sherlock Holmes was based on a real person, let alone a surgeon. So this episode will really be a biography of two real people and one fictional person, all linked together with some pretty famous literature. Now before we meet Dr. Bell, we should get to know a little bit about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, particularly before he became famous. Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was, as mentioned, born on May 22nd in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1859. From 1876 to 1881, he studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh Medical School. It was here that he met Dr. Joseph Bell, his later inspiration for the fictional character Sherlock Holmes, both as a student hearing his lectures, as well as when he served as his surgical dresser, which is sort of an intern position. But we'll come back to that. First, let's flush out the rest of his medical career, as it has a few interesting bits. Now, Doyle had two brief sea voyages after medical school. The first was as a doctor on a whaling ship called the Hope of Peterhead going to the Arctic, and the second as the ship surgeon on the SS Mayumba on an excursion to West Africa. He then completed his MD degree by writing his thesis on Tabes dorsalis, which is a slowly progressing nervous disorder caused by syphilis. Doyle worked in Plymouth and South Sea in England, but had little success attracting patients, which actually gave him the free time to start writing. In 1890, he went to Vienna to study ophthalmology and returned to London to set up practice, although, from what I understand, he wasn't very successful at that either. But hey, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was an ophthalmologist. Who knew? The final note on his medical career, he served as a volunteer doctor in the Langman Field Hospital at Bloemfontein from March to June 1900 in South Africa during the Boer War. So why is his medical career of interest from a literary standpoint? Well, in one article I read, it stated that in 60 Sherlock Holmes stories, there are references to 68 diseases, 32 medical terms, 38 doctors, 22 drugs, 12 medical specialties, 6 hospitals, 3 medical journals, and 2 medical schools. I guess that training came in handy. Okay, so let's get to the main character, Dr. Joseph Bell. He has been described as the last of a dynasty of Bells that towered over the medical world of Edinburgh for four generations, alternately named Joseph and Benjamin, all of them surgeons. His great-grandfather, Benjamin Bell, was considered to be the first Scottish scientific surgeon, wrote a bestseller six-volume surgical textbook called A System of Surgery, which was considered a bible of surgical knowledge throughout Europe, was the first to distinguish syphilis and gonorrhea as separate diseases, was known for his surgical adage to save skin, which improved healing in mastectomies and limb amputations, and was an early advocate of routine pain relief and surgery. This great-grandfather, as well as his grandfather and father, were all presidents of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. No pressure. Into this family, Joseph Bell was born December 2nd, 1837 in Edinburgh. Not surprisingly, he studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh Medical School, getting his MD in 1859 at the age of 21. He actually started at the University of Leiden in Holland, but was homesick. As a medical student, he worked at the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh under James Sim, who you might remember from episode 4 on Joseph Lister, as Dr. Sim was Lister's father-in-law. Bell was his dresser, or teacher's assistant, and assisted him in surgical procedures, made sure the OR was set up properly, and managed surgical dressings. Bell went on to become Sim's assistant and house surgeon at the Royal Infirmary. He climbed the ranks and became a lecturer at the medical school at the University of Edinburgh, and had many interests over many fields, which led to an interesting career and certainly must have influenced Doyle in his creation of Sherlock Holmes. I'll give you some of the highlights. In 1864, 
there is a diphtheria outbreak in Edinburgh. Quick plug here, this is why vaccines are so important. Many children had tracheotomies, or breathing holes in their windpipe, and there was no way to remove the thick membranes in their airways. Bell experimented on infected kids, creating a pipette to suction the bacteria from the back of their throats. Bell himself contracted diphtheria, requiring a three-month sabbatical from Edinburgh, and leaving him with long-term sequelae. His voice was altered, and he had stiffness in his legs that lasted the rest of his life. In 1868, Bell started to train nurses at the infirmary, since there was no formal training available, and he wanted better help. He was actually inspired by Florence Nightingale, see the last podcast, and even wrote to her for advice. He later wrote a book called Notes on Surgery for Nurses, which he dedicated to her. In his surgical practice, Bell was an innovator, applying carbolic spray in the OR, see the Lister podcast, implemented changing into clean clothes for the OR, a novel concept at the time, and handwashing, again, see the podcast on handwashing. Like his great-grandfather, he also wrote a surgical textbook, this one called Manual of Operations for Surgery, for the use of senior students and junior practitioners. Later in his career, he became the first surgeon at the Royal Hospital for Sick Children in Edinburgh and was the personal surgeon to Queen Victoria whenever she was in Edinburgh. Bell was loved as a teacher too. He was renowned for his deductive abilities and would teach his students to use observation to note the environment, the appearance, and the personal characteristics of the patient. Here's a description by Dr. Douglas Guthrie, a Scottish medical historian. Quote, The tall, stately man, kindly and sympathetic by nature, Revered by students and patients alike, seated in his chair in the infirmary, the tips of his slender fingers extended and pressed together, his keen eyes and aquiline features contributing to his air of intent investigation, would study with close interest all the mannerisms, features, expressions, and personal traits of the patient. Then, turning to the assembled students, he would discuss the method which enabled him to tell the astonished company where the man came from, what was his occupation, and various details of his family life. He showed how the hands and fingernails revealed the nature of various crafts, how the color of the mud on a boot might indicate a certain part of the town, and how accent or dialect might be a clue to the birthplace of the patient." Bell used this observation and deduction to diagnose patients and develop this into what he called the system, which he described like this, "...observe carefully, deduce shrewdly, and confirm with evidence." Very Sherlockian, I would say. And like a true Renaissance man, his interest went beyond medicine. Particularly, he was fascinated by two new fields of study, handwriting analysis and dialectology, the study of accent and speech patterns. Amazingly, through his connection to Dr. Henry Littlejohn, Edinburgh's police surgeon, which apparently was a real thing, Bell was involved in investigating murders. One famous case involved Eugene-Marie Chantrell, a one-time medical student from France accused of murdering his young wife. Through his autopsy findings, as well as his analysis of her blood and pillowcase, Bell demonstrated that Chantrell had poisoned his wife with opium, faking a coal gas leak to collect insurance on her. Chantrell was convicted and executed based on his testimony. Bell was involved in a number of other police investigations, and I won't get into all the details except for one famous one, Jack the Ripper. Scotland Yard, which is actually the headquarters for the Metropolitan Police Service of London, and it's called that because the original location had a rear entrance on a street called Great Scotland Yard. I didn't know that. Uh, asked for help from Bell and Littlejohn. For those that don't know, Jack the Ripper refers to the vicious murders of five prostitutes that terrorized London in 1888. Given the nature of the murders, many believe the killer had surgical knowledge. The killer had sent police letters, some of which were hoaxes, which were analyzed by Bell. He and Littlejohn separately came to the same suspect, Montague Druitt, a local barrister whose father had a medical practice. Within a week of sending their findings to the police, the murders stopped. Also within a week, Druitt committed suicide. 
Although it was never proven that Druitt did it, I thought that was an interesting anecdote. So given his life story, it is not really surprising that Doyle found inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. In his autobiography, Doyle describes his creation, quote, I thought of my old teacher, Joe Bell, of his eagle face, of his curious way, of his eerie trick of spotting details. If he were a detective, he would surely reduce this fascinating but unorganized business into something nearer to an exact science. It is all very well to say that a man is clever, but the reader wants to see examples of it, such examples as Bell gave us every day in the wards, end quote. So Dr. Bell knew about this connection, and he initially enjoyed the attention, but sounds like later maybe he got a bit tired of it, and he even wrote a foreword for a Sherlock Holmes book. And here it is, quote, The precise and intelligent recognition and appreciation of minor differences is the real essential factor in all successful medical diagnoses. Eyes and ears, which can see and hear, memory to record at once, and to recall at pleasure the impression of the senses, and an imagination capable of weaving a theory or piecing together a broken chain or unraveling a tangled clue, such are implements of his trade to a successful diagnostician. End quote. I think that's actually pretty profound, and maybe a lesson everyone practicing clinical medicine today could reflect on. Finally, in closing, a bit more on Dr. Bell's personal history, which is actually pretty tragic. Joseph Bell married Edith Erskine Murray on April 17, 1865. They had three children, Jean, Cecilia, and of course, Benjamin. After only nine years of marriage, Edith died of purpural peritonitis, which may sound familiar to those that have listened to the handwashing episode. This is childbed fever and was due to an infection caused by a lack of handwashing during childbirth. Tragedy struck again when his son Benjamin died unexpectedly in 1893 of peritonitis, which is a nonspecific description of inflammation of the abdominal cavity with many possible causes. Thus, his death at age 73 on October 4, 1911, coincidentally on his wife's birthday, ended the line of the Joseph Benjamin Bell surgeons, but he will live on in his fictional persona of Sherlock Holmes. As well, in 2001, the University of Edinburgh established the Joseph Bell Center for Forensic Statistics and Legal Reasoning, a fitting tribute to an accomplished and fascinating man. Well, that wraps up another episode of Legends of Surgery. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week on June 1st is National Heimlich Maneuver Day. So what does that have to do with surgery? Well, the inventor, Henry Heimlich, was a thoracic surgeon. And not only that, he is a living legend with a fascinating life story, so don't miss it. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends, like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes, and as always, thanks for listening.